please take your seats. Let me add my welcome to you this morning. Uh, um, my name's Bob, one of the leaders of the church, and it's a joy to welcome you here this morning. God loves a cheerful giver. Let me ask you a question. When you're setting your household budget, I assume that you base it on your income and what you know you've got expenditure for. When the church leaders set the budget for the church, should they follow that same principle? Have a think. I want to share with you this morning the goals that we believe the Lord has given us as leaders uh, when we met in October 2019. The three goals, and we've looked at two of them, are mission. We are praying that the Lord will raise up and send out from amongst us passionate workers for the cause of Christ. Matthew 9, 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We are called, according to that text, to see what Jesus sees to feel what Jesus feels, and to do what Jesus says, which we looked at last Sunday morning. Second goal is ministry, supernatural growth. We base that upon Isaiah 54 verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, which we considered Last Sunday evening, we are called by Isaiah 54, flowing out from the finished work of Christ on Calvary, to sing to the glory of God. And one of the best ways we sing to the glory of God is stretch out to the right and to the left so more people can come in. And number three, money. Supernatural giving. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's what we're thinking about this morning. As I say, these are the three goals that we believe that God laid upon our hearts as the leaders of this church that we want to think through, pray through, talk about and see God answering our prayers and for his glory and our joy and the joy of others. So this morning, it's goal number three. I've called supernatural, generous <coughs> giving. Let's ask God to minister to us. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Fundraising is a massive issue in 21st century UK. There are books. I researched a bit of it this week. Uh, it was incredibly boring. There are books, seminars, resources, a plenty to teach us how to raise funds for good causes. Here's some suggestions. Sponsored beard shaving. Ladies, you can breathe out. I'm looking at some of the people who are blessed with beards and wondering how much you could raise for shaving that one off. Sponsored beard shaving, sponsored abseiling, afternoon teas, crowdfunding, children in need, comic relief, etc., etc. Fundraising aplenty. And... Charitable giving carries tax benefits. So if you are a UK taxpayer, there is something that can enhance your giving, which we as church leaders would encourage you to prayerfully think about, called gift aid. Don't confuse it with live aid. 
gift aid is like a people in a, dark, in a dark back room with a spreadsheet. Live aid is with people with the rock music on the, on the concert in Wembley. So gift aid is not live aid. But fundraising is a massive issue in our country. But I want to share with you this morning what the Bible speaks about. And the Bible speaks comprehensively. God in his word speaks comprehensively to us about the giving of our money. But it is never in the context of fundraising. It is always an act of worship in response to what the Lord has done by his transforming grace. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you will probably have come across the principle of tithing, which literally means giving one-tenth or ten percent of your income to the church. Tithing is a biblical principle. It was first mentioned in Genesis 14, and we read in Genesis 14, in verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham, of the giving of a tenth of everything, was an act of worship because he had been blessed by God Most High. Tithing was established in the Old Covenant as an act of worship. One example from many, Leviticus 27, verse 30. A tithe of everything comes from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. Jesus himself spoke about tithing. He mentioned it for one example in the New Testament in Matthew 23, 23. Tithing was a principle I was taught and encouraged to adopt when I became a member of this church. The logic is flawless and wise. For example, if 10 wage earners donate 10% of their income to the church, they've raised an 11th salary. So if 10 wage earners give, we can pay the wage of another worker. If 20 people give, two. If 30 people give, three. That's how it works. So as we prayerfully embrace and engage with the goals we believe the Lord has laid upon our hearts this year, we do need to talk about how we relate to and how we use the money the Lord has blessed us with. To do that, I want to highlight three of the many principles that um, we're in that reading that Tim brought to us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. This is not going to be an exposition of those verses. I just want to highlight three of the many principles that we see there. My text is God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the question, why? God loves a cheerful giver because, number one, it is an expression of your sincere love for him. It is an expression of your sincere love for him. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 
and verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written from Psalm 112.9, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. So as we start talking about realizing and putting into operation the gift, the, the, the goals that the Lord has given us, it will require the giving of the Lord's people financially, sacrificially and joyfully. Let me just say a couple of things as a word of caution. Generous giving to the cause of Christ is never a performance issue. It is never, ever, ever to be a performance issue. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. When you give to the poor, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It is a private matter between you and the Lord. Sadly, I know of some churches where the level of personal giving is a prominent thing within the life of the church. That is not honoring to the Lord. All it does is create duty that is motivated by fear or pride. And it has no place in a New Testament church of Christ. Giving is not a performance issue. Number two, it is not a political issue. What do I mean? There's the prayer, is there not, in Luke 18, where the Pharisee prays thus with himself, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like other people. I give a tenth of all I get. Wow. I've heard of churches where money talks. There's a, there's a church in this locality, the Lord has, in his mercy, closed it down, where money talks and the big givers hold power. And allegedly, during one contentious church members meeting, someone who spoke on a matter that wasn't very popular was asked by someone, by one of the leaders, are you a tithing member? What? what do you, so does money talk or does God's word shape the church? It is never a performance issue. It is never a political issue. And Paul makes it crystal clear. It is always an expression of your love to the Lord. Paul emphasizes, does he not, in verse 7, that it is a private matter between you and the Lord. Each of you, 9 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, let me just add something practical. If you're married, talk to your spouse, please, because the two shall become one, I think. You know, one name, one bed, one bank account. So talk to your spouse about it. Don't just go off on your own sweet thing. Talk to, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decision that's personal between you and the Lord. It's a heart decision. Therefore, it is an act of worship. Therefore, it must be a cheerful, under no pressure decision. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I would add it is an expression of your sincere love for the Lord. Paul brings that out in chapter 8, verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. 
It is an expression of the sincerity of your love for the Lord. Notice how Paul sandwiches verse 7, logically, between 6 and 8. That's how it goes. Chapter 9, 6 talks about us remembering that the giving of our money to the cause of Christ is an investment that can never fail. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And, verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly. What Paul is telling us from 8 to 11, which we haven't got time to go into, you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. He promises to meet all of your needs. And he says, the more you give, the more you'll get. You cannot outgive God. God loves a cheerful giver because it is an expression of our sincere love to the Lord. And also, secondly, it is a grace gift that we should strive to excel in. This is in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. And now, brothers and sisters, chapter 8, 1, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had, made, as he had earlier made a beginning, to be bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. <coughs> but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's a grace gift that we should strive to excel in. Generous giving to the cause of Christ is a grace gift from God, therefore supernatural in origin. That's why I'm calling this supernatural generous giving. <clears throat> Notice the rich generosity of the Macedonian churches that Paul highlights for us in chapter 8, 1 through 2. I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. Look at what they're going through. Very severe trial. There are three dynamics. There's a fourth, actually. There's three dynamics. They are going through a very severe trial. We do not know what the very severe trial is. All we know is they are going through a very, very severe trial. Number one. Number two, they are experiencing overwhelming joy. Severe trial overwhelming joy and number three extreme poverty severe trial overwhelming joy extreme poverty that's the dynamic operating within the Macedonian churches the grace of God is given and intermixed with those three dynamics 
severe trial, overwhelming joy, extreme poverty, welled up in what? Rich generosity. That is supernatural giving, is it not? That is grace-fired giving. Severe trial, extreme poverty, extreme overwhelming joy, generous giving. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that God gets all the glory and the giving church gets all the joy. Even in their severe trial, extreme poverty. Because generous giving to the cause of Christ is a grace gift from God, therefore supernatural in origin, in which we should strive to excel. Again, Paul highlights the example of the Macedonian churches from verses 3 through 7. He tells us that they exceeded Paul's expectations. They exceeded Paul's expectations in their rich generosity. And they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. No guilt trip sermon. This was just grace flooding their hearts with joy and they wanted to give. Entirely on their own. So Paul's expectations of what he would receive as a love gift from the Macedonian churches was blown out of the water. It far exceeded Paul's expectations in their rich generosity and far exceeded Paul's expectations in their passion to share in this gospel ministry. Verse 5, verse 4, sorry, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. There was such a white-hot passion for the cause of Christ, it far exceeded Paul's expectations And Paul's application to the Corinthians, and by extension to us, is that we too should strive to excel in this grace of giving. So we urge Titus, he says that in verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Which by God's grace... We have done so in the past. The extension project that... When I first came to this church, there was this little tiny room here, a little tiny room on the side and a a lean-to hut that was on its last legs in the the back car, uh, car park, which is now the back car park. And we felt that it was right before the Lord to extend, to go into a very significant extension project, which is called the lounge, which has now added the lounge, added some space in here, changed it into the car park. We've built a sports hall upstairs and added, added multiple rooms. And we had no money to do it. We had no money. The church leaders said, we've got no money, but we've got a vision from God. Are we going to do it? Some of you were around at the time. Some members of the church were so moved by the vision that God gave us at that time, in order to bankroll the thing, they remortgaged their homes. I was so impelled by the Spirit of God, and by God's grace, we paid off the loan far ahead of schedule to the glory of God. 
And when Mike Toich was here and he, he, he felt it was right that we increase the number of paid staff members of the church and we wanted and felt it was right before the Lord to employ a co-pastor. And when we looked at the books and we looked at the balance and we looked at the budget, we couldn't afford another one. But we believed it was right before God and guess what? It was. It was. It was. This church, by God's grace, has excelled in the grace of giving in the past. So we will, we will again, by God's grace this year, as we feel the passion of Christ for the lost and his vision for his church here, let's prayerfully, individually, passionately, prayerfully embrace how we, how we too can excel in this grace of giving in 2020. Because generous giving to the cause of Christ is a grace gift from God, therefore supernatural in origin, in which we should strive to excel because of God's overwhelming generosity to us. Could you move that on for me? Thank you. Because we know Jesus' poverty has made us truly rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that, Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You won't find Paul in this passage talking about the Old Testament slash New Testament principle of tithing. It's not mentioned, is it, at all? This is, you, you could wring this dry and you'd never get one syllable about tithing out of this passage. I think the, probably the best qualified person to talk to the church about tithing would be the Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He understood the principle of tithing. He had been brought up with him in his mother's milk. As a Pharisee, he would have tithed. He would have had a pair of scissors on his herbs and all the rest of it, cutting up little tiny, tiny bits, making sure this is empty, this is the carrots. Everything would have been meticulously and scrupulously tithed. And he would have felt it was you know, the right thing to do. He does not, in motivating the Corinthian church to generous free will giving, he does not take the tithing route. Why? Why? I think there are two reasons. I think Paul is an incredibly wise. Well, he would be, wouldn't he? He's a spirit-filled apostle. He's a credibly wise pastor. He understands something of the human heart. He knows, and God knows, that as wise and as biblical as tithing is, and by the way, tithing is entry-level giving, it's, it's a 101 giving level. He knows that our hearts need a greater motivation. I don't know about you, but one of my besetting sins is the love of money. How do I know? Because I worry about not having enough. I hold on to as much as I can. I, I get all flexed about my you know, the money that's in the bank account and is my pension going to be enough? Why? Why? It's the love of money. That's why. 
and my heart needs something more powerful than just a legal obligation. So what does Paul do to encourage generous, joyful, worshipful, praise-saturated giving amongst New Testament Christians? He takes us to the cross. He takes us to the cross where we see displayed God's amazing generosity in the giving of his son. Some of you who are going through incredible suffering at this time because of the suffering of your loved ones, there is an exquisite, exclusive level of suffering in watching those you love suffer, is there not? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. He takes us to God's amazing love gift of his son and he takes us to the cross where we see again Jesus' amazing grace set before us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might th so that you through his poverty might become rich. We have every reason to praise God that Jesus did not tithe his blood on Calvary. Jesus did not give a tenth of himself on Calvary. He gave everything. He gave up everything for you on Calvary. He experienced ultimate poverty. He experienced the poverty of being alone in the cosmos with God the Father turning his face away. He had nothing left to give on Calvary's cross so that through his poverty we might become truly rich. So has the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in his willingly, fully, unreservedly giving of himself into total poverty on the cross for your sake melted your hearts because you know that you are truly rich? That he who did not spare his own son, will he not also with him freely give you all things? So may God's grace so capture our hearts and may the sacrificial poverty of Jesus make us generous, grace-fired givers to the glory of God in 2020. Let us pray. Lord, <coughs> you were rich beyond all splendor yet for love's sake became poor. Melt our hearts with the gospel of your white-hot, 
overwhelmingly generous grace that we might be set free from the love of money and become increasingly grace-excelling in this grace of giving for your glory and for the joy of thousands. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's conclude our time together. Lord, you are rich beyond all splendor.